Hook em up with E and Rod P. Brought to you by Bud Light on the Horn. Yeah, hook them up, hook them up. Two more hours to go on this Thursday edition. Talking bets and wagers based on the Rangers-Astros series starting Sunday now. Astros took care of business last night. Great pitching. Jose Urquidy. Jose Urquidy is the pitcher's pitcher, man. That guy, big spots. He's not these guys you think about as like a Cy Young guy. But boy, how many times in the Astros runs here to the ALCS and the World Series has he come up in a big spot, pitched great, just like he did last night, locates very well. He's, he's a Mexican. He's out of Mexico, and he is just a, a really good pitcher. Technician. Technician of the position, yes. Mm-hmm. And then, the uh, as I say, you got two days to preview this big series, and we'll get some insiders on tomorrow to preview both the Rangers and Astros' side of this. Also get some bigger picture perspective. But uh, first time it's ever happened, but uh, Astros' bullpen is their one big advantage in this series, if there is one, because I think it's a very even matchup. Both teams won 90 games. Uh, both teams have kind of had ups and downs and roller coasters this year has gone on. Both teams have battled significant injuries. Rangers may be getting Max Scherzer back, uh, which would be great. He threw a simulated game yesterday. But, Rod, the, the only place where you look and there's just a, a glaring you know, spot where one team is better than the other, it's the Astros' bullpen. But the Rangers mm-hmm. have pitched great in the postseason. These five games, they've been outstanding. So yeah. it matters what happens now. But uh, I think all Ranger fans would feel a little nervous Running the mm-hmm. uh, the Ty feels chat. good. Well, Ty feels good. He's watched this team this year. Remember, he gave up on this team. Don't forget about that. <laughs> Don't forget, he mailed it in. That's good. I think he was just ready for a football yeah. season to start more than anything. This he, is the most baseball I've ever watched. He was quoted season. on this show saying, I, "I've given up on the Rangers." Well, that's yeah, because like Rod said, I was excited for football. Indeed, got, yeah, I was a little disappointed in that little stretch they had there, and they 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 honed it in, and well, now look at look at us now. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, You're playing great baseball right now, man. And these games are fun to watch, too. Yeah, uh, because a lot of home runs. Yeah. I, I think that and is... The, and the, the drama of every pitch matters. Um, it's the only sport where it's I, it's it's that one-on-one battle between the pitcher and the batter. Like I, I, I can't think of anything else like it in sports. You can't. I mean, it's uh, playoff baseball mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Um, uh, Rangers had 39 blown leads this year. Uh, they had five ninth-inning blown leads this year, which was close to the top. Only the Colorado Rockies and the Chicago White Sox had more this year. Uh, so that and the Astros, you were you know top five in the league in not blowing games, right? So um, clutch. And, and you saw it last night. You've seen it in this postseason. I mean, the Astros had a one-run lead. It was three to two, and Hector Neris came in. You know, one of the things that gives the Astros a big advantage is Ryan Presley when he's locked in and not tipping his pitches. He was doing this for a stretch this year. Uh, he is really lights out. Uh, he's closed, and he's closed World Series games, right? He's closed big playoff games. Rangers guys, that's the other part of this. You know, this is going to be a high pressure series. It's going to be a high uh, intensity series with oh, yeah. high leverage positions. How confident are the Rangers pitchers? Because they've they've had some struggles. The Astros guys, you feel like been there, done that. Uh, Hector Neris is you know one of, he's been part of a World Series team and a champion. Has has uh, Jose Abreu on a couple of occasions and Ryan Presley. Uh, these guys been there, and uh, Rangers are there for the first time here. So that would be the only place. Everything else, you know, they're, they're, you, know you might give the offensive advantage mm-hmm. to the Rangers. Yeah. With the addition of Evan Carter and the return of Josh Young to their everyday lineup, they're they're as deep as anybody. Right now they're killing it, yeah. It's going to mean they had – didn't they have the most All-Stars this year? They did. Yeah. They did. I mean, the Rangers and are both, And loaded. if Max Scherzer were to come back – I mean, you're not getting Jacob DeGrom back. You know that. But if Max Scherzer could come back and maybe help out that bullpen we're talking about – 
That would be huge. And the Rangers are ahead of schedule. This is not they're not supposed to be doing that, having this type of uh run this year. Right? Aren't they a little ahead of schedule? Isn't uh, next year supposed to be the year kind of for them? Uh I look I I would disagree with that. I okay. would say that the ownerships you know, the trades they made at the deadline would indicate they felt like they needed to go all in this year. Um, yeah, but I think that, that I think when you look at the the way they were building the roster, oh sure, I think they fit, they found out this year like oh damn and with the start they had this year they were like oh yeah we I, are ahead of schedule now let's speed up the timetable but I think the long term vision was maybe next year would be the year that they don't have a lot of weaknesses and you just pointed out. Their bullpen is an obvious well, weakness. And, and as we started and then broke camp, we knew the Rangers were really good, right? They went out and made the investment mm-hmm. in the pitching staff, even though it didn't work out with Jacob deGrom. Evaldi's been great. Andrew Heaney's been really good for them. Um, you know, the, the investments have paid off. And Seeger and Simeon were the investments two off-seasons ago. Yeah. Huge dollars. And they've paid. And we've told you the Rangers have this great this farm system that's coming. And now you're seeing that the fruits of that uh, with, you know, Evan Carter yes. and um, – the addition of Josh Young coming through that system after being a high draft pick out of Texas Tech. I mean, and, and that's what we, here's why I give the Rangers ownership a lot of credit. They've invested the dollars, and when it was time to make deals at the deadline, they knowing they've got this really fertile farm system, they used it to attack the market and bring in Max Scherzer yeah. and Jordan Hamill. Jordan Montgomery has been a big, as big an addition as they as anybody has at the deadline. Who they got from the St. Louis Cardinals, uh, big time addition. So now their depth of pitching is good. But remember, Rod, they played a series back in early September, right after Labor Day, and the Astros swept it and outscored them forty to ten. So that still resonates. I think that mm. the Astros have to have a lot of confidence that they can, uh, you know, handle this pitching staff and know how to attack this pitching staff. Rangers are going to have to prove it because the Astros have. Uh, I believe the Rangers won the first series of the year way back. And the Astros really dominated the head-to-head race the rest of the way. So, look, a lot of subplots, a lot of uh, star mm-hmm. characters, two experienced managers that have known each other. A lot of familiarity, too. Can, can we play this Dusty Baker that we've been playing this morning? <laughs> this is uh, pretty good. This is Dusty Baker. Uh, he knows his guy, Bruce Bochy. They've seen each other many times. Well, hey, man, they know us, and we know them. And uh, I know Bruce, and he knows me. And I know Mike Maddox, and it's going to be a heck of a, heck of a, heck of a series. All right, there you go. Mm. Yeah, this says Nick from San Angelo says, "How many blown leads did the Rangers have this postseason? What have you done for me lately?" Just point out that's the one advantage mm. I see on paper. Uh, doesn't mean it's going to play out that way. I mean, who would have picked the eighty-eight win Diamondbacks to sweep right through the hundred-plus win Dodgers? No, some people, but not not, not most people. No. Not most, yeah. <laughs> and that becomes the next big conversation for baseball. Is and by the way, credit to um, Rob Manfred the. Every commissioner is controversial, right? Any every commissioner is not liked in any every major sport, I think. Um, but the decisions to, to to speed up the games mm. with the pitch clock, which was much very controversial, the shifting, getting rid of that. Think about the the results of that, right? Games averaged two hours and forty minutes this year. The games were down twenty five minutes in length per, on a per game basis, which makes it a better and more consumable TV product. Mm-hmm. Also, uh, they wanted to move the shifts and and you know the stolen bases through the roof. Uh, the the OPS across baseball was up almost eighty points. Home runs are up too. Home runs are up. Uh, it's just it's a better game right now. And you you know if you go all the way back to the spring and gosh still the winter it started with the World Baseball Classic and that's where the pitch clock started. You saw it and man, just a compelling product. And I think we're seeing it in these postseason games. 
Um, and that's kind of the way we talked about that when the pitch clock was in. This is going to be interesting, these high leverage games. Now you're seeing it. Pitchers don't. Pitchers got to get back on the mound and pitch, Rod. Mm-hmm. Batters got to get back in a box. You can't stand around and wait. No, you can't gather yourself no. for two minutes or whatever it is. Yeah, no. yeah. I mean, it's it's a. And these are the these are the games where that matters most. Adds more pressure. It does. I love it. And I think yeah, I think it's Rod Manfred's legacy. I know people. I know he is hated. I mean, all of the commissioners are like you said. Maybe Adam Silver is kind of the exception to the rule. But um, I'll say this: it, it from Rod Manfred did a great job with that. He was bullish on it. Speaking of bullish, bullish or BS, he was bullish when a lot of people, a lot of traditionalists, were against him, and they talked a lot of trash about Rod Manfred and his leadership. I'm glad you gave him props because most baseball fans won't give Rod Manfred any flowers at all. They won't give him any praise because they uh, hate him so much. But that was so good for the game. You're talking about trying to make the game more palatable to the younger generations. That was their biggest issue. And the best way to do that for a generation that has the attention span of a goldfish. All right, so shorten the games and also make them more uh, offensive, you know, offensively centric games. I make make sure they're high scoring games, and that's what and happened. Showcase the athleticism and the talent of the players, yep. which which you got to do with a guy like Ronald Acuna Jr. Right, forty seventy, still stole seventy bases, hit forty plus home runs. Uh, those are the guys that you know. It's not just home runs and strikeouts anymore. It's you can put runners in motion, you can steal bags. Uh, you know, the shifts have, have helped guys like Corey Seager and Kyle Tucker for the Astros and Rangers. Not. You know their their batting averages are both up and MVP caliber seasons for mm-hmm. them. Uh, by the way, how, how many injuries to pitchers because of the pitch clock? I don't know how you would even be able to, to prove that or document that. I don't even know what that means. I'm sure somebody's doing some exhaustive uh, breakdown on it. It's because of the pitch clock why pitchers get hurt. I don't know if I believe that. <laughs> uh, how about this? Uh, speaking of commissioners and hated commissioners, Roger Goodell, NFL Commissioner Roger Goodell is nearing a new three year contract extension. Rod. Mm-hmm. That will push his career earnings over seven hundred million dollars. He'll be a billionaire before he's done. He'll he's a overseeing a twenty billion dollar operation. Yeah. He'll easily be a billionaire before it, before it's all said and done. And it just if he doesn't reach it in career earnings, like you say, it'll be a seven hundred million um, after the, the new contract is signed. If they get a new extension, seven hundred. Um, but think about the investments and all the stuff that he's made. I'm sure he gets the inside scoops on a lot of great investments. He'll be worth a billion dollars by the time he retires from the NFL. And I would argue whether you like him or not. Yeah. Uh, NFL, whether you like him or not, and he's done a lot not to like. Uh, you know, his most recent annual salary was believed to be nearly $64 million. Yeah, remember Jerry didn't like that. Jerry thought he was overpaid. Yeah. <laughs> well, that's essentially $2 million. He, he makes $2 million from every team. And they, he works for the owners, right? So they each kick in two million bucks, and that pays for Roger Goodell to take the take the arrows and well, he's increased take the, the criticism. He's increased the revenue share every pretty much every year he's been there. Maybe COVID or something was a little bit different, but every year he's been there, he's increased the revenue share. And now with the partnerships with all the gambling casinos and entities and uh, gambling websites, uh, that revenue pie is about to grow even more. And the new broadcast and streaming deals about to grow even more. And you got to give Roger Goodell credit. You may not like him because of some of his decisions and not all of them have uh, been very popular, but the, all the owners care about is increasing the revenue. That's all they care. They, they all those issues about you know the, the one issue that they did care about other than revenue was the Colin Kaepernick issue and the protest during the national anthem. But that was only because it was affecting their revenue. <laughs> bad for business. <laughs> it was like this is bad for business, man. We don't like it. So that's all they care about, and that's why they love Roger Goodell. And right. no matter how much Jerry don't like him, even though he's the president of the owners' association, it don't matter because that revenue, man, straight cash, homie. What talks? 
Coming up, we'll get Rod's rant, uh, second of the day, coming up bottom of the hour. But look who it is on the uh, Vaqueros hotline. He is our friend Mike Craven, Dave Campbell's Texas football, the senior writer covering college football at a very high level. Also my co-host on the Eyes on Texas podcast and multicast that is out again this week, a full Red River rivalry recap. Uh, you can find that on uh, iTunes, Spotify, and, of course, at the YouTube channel of Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Also on uh, the on Twitter at Eyes on Texas FB, Eyes on Texas Multicast. Mike Craven with us. Mike, how are you, bud? What's up, Mike? Doing good, guys. How are y'all? Great, brother. Hey, you were at, uh, before we get to your thoughts on Texas and, uh, and OU, because I know you have a lot of them, but uh, you were at Texas A&M last week and saw the Aggies lose to Alabama in a game where uh, Aggie fans rightfully frustrated, where their team probably outplayed Alabama, but uh, Jimbo Fisher, uh, aggravating, aggravating, I think, to Aggie fans what they saw last Saturday. Yeah, I think when you combine what was in front of them, you know, with, with those decisions, you know, you beat Alabama at home and you're all of a sudden in the driver's seat for the SEC West. You're a top 20 team. Uh, there's there's talk of like college football playoffs and SEC championships and all, and all that kind of stuff after a five-win season last year. Instead, you know, you punt three times in plus territory. Uh, you settle for field goals in, in situations where I think a lot of people wanted you to go for touchdowns. You, you misuse your timeouts. You keep the onside kick late. Uh, after kicking a field goal to to keep it a touchdown game. And so it, it felt like one of those ones that got away from A&M. It wasn't one of those games where Alabama was clearly better and A&M had to upset them. I mean, A&M, A&M was just as good, if not better, uh, as a football team on Saturday against Alabama. And because their coach kind of played not to lose, uh, they ended up doing just that against Nick Saban. Yeah, disappointing. And 108,000, though, you were there. You, that's, uh, that, that's quite the scene when they pack that place and the uh, the press box starts swaying, and uh, uh, that's that, that's as good. I mean, between that and what we saw at the Cotton Bowl, that's as good of uh, of college football Saturday environments as you can find. Yeah, I mean, I I mean, I haven't gone around to a lot of the country. I've never been to Death Valley or to Nayland Stadium or anything, but for my money, a home atmosphere, I mean, it doesn't get better than Kyle Phil. Like, there was 108,000, 100-something people there. It, it's just absolutely insane what goes on at Kyle Phil. I can't wait for Texas, Texas A&M to get back playing again so we can see that more. Totally agree with that, Mike. Hey, Mike, let me ask you just real quick, because I know you keep up with all the teams uh, here in the uh, the great state of Texas. The next opponent for the Longhorns is going to be U of H. U of H is going to be in action tonight facing West Virginia. What? Tell me about the, the Cougars, why they're struggling a little bit. Give me your thoughts about U of H. Yeah, I mean, I think they are struggling a little bit for, for reasons that, you know, you're moving up to the Big 12 where the offensive line, defensive line is going to be better. And they have some good players there. Like Patrick Paul, their left tackle, is one of the best offensive linemen in, in the whole Big 12, maybe in the whole country. He's going to be a top, you know, first-round, second-round draft pick. But they don't have a lot of depth after that. They've lost 11 offensive linemen to the portal over the last two years. Um, some of that, you know, on purpose where they're trying to get rid of some guys, some of that, you know, because other schools are coming in there and, and taking them. Um, and so they're going to have to get bigger on the offensive line. They're going to have to get bigger on the defensive line. Think Texas when Steve Sarkeesian got here, right? Like just the idea of, of not having as many bodies trying to transform from an American uh, conference uh, roster to a Big 12 conference roster. If you ask the coaches there, they feel pretty good about their first 40 players. It's that next 40 where they're going to have to to get better and better and, and exchange some, you know, old G5 level talent recruits with some new Big 12 talent recruits and then give them a couple years uh, to develop and, and become Big 12 caliber players. You've been around that program, Mike, down at Houston with Dana Holgerson. Of course, he left West Virginia to take that job and try to take that program to a higher level. What's the level of comfort do you have in, in you know that they, that they have in him with Tillman Fertitta, who's kind of a he's kind of you know one of those guys that wants wants results and maybe not seeing it. Is, is how safe is Dana Holgerson, win or lose tonight? 
honestly think he's he's pretty safe. I mean, you never know with college athletics, but they're they're investing so much money into other stuff. It's hard to imagining them coming up with the money to buy his buyout. He was he was given an extension and a raise after that 12 win uh, 2021 season. They had a really good year, um, and then they you know they kind of fell off a little bit last year, but still still won eight games, which I think was pretty good for Houston. And so they knew that this first year was going to be tough. I mean, they didn't know it was going to be this tough. You know, I, I think really for them it was losing to Rice. It hasn't been their results in the Big 12 that, that have raised some eyebrows. It was that loss to Rice. But, you know, they're, they're building a new end zone facility. They're building a new practice facility with, like, offices and stuff. Tillman Fertitta, you know, is kind of re-energized into their Houston Rockets. And so I, I think that he's going to be safe, you know, going into 2024, and then that's going to be the real year where we decide this stuff. Hey, Mike, let me ask you about uh, Texas State. Uh, I keep seeing all these great stats about uh, Texas State and that offense. is actually one of the most explosive offenses in the country, uh, and they've had one of the biggest uh, leaps of improvement offensively uh, of any offense in the country. Uh, tell me about the J.G. Kinney offense, personnel-wise, what makes it so unique schematically, what makes it uh, so prolific. Yeah, I mean, another guy to mention there is Mac Leftwich, their offensive coordinator. Kenny and him kind of, you know, mad scientists, that thing. They're mm-hmm. both under 33 years old. It's kind of just a bunch of young guys getting together and drawing up their favorite offensive plays and going and running them. You know, it's, nice. it's kind of it's kind of like – it reminds me of like I, – I, this is going to sound blasphemous, but kind of like Mike Leach early in his career when he had Dana Holgerson, Sonny Dykes, and all those guys in the same office, mm-hmm. and they were young. Nobody really knew who they were. They were doing all these weird stuff. I think what's cool about their offense is it's kind of a mismatch of a bunch of different stuff. Like it's got air raid principles. It's got that beer and shoot principle stuff. Uh, they do some option things off of it because of Kenny's time with Gus Melzon. And so they're just really creative in the running game. They're really creative in the passing game. And I think one of the things that they do well, and this is because they're, you know, pretty much all of them are former quarterbacks. They kind of figure out what their quarterback can do, what their quarterback can't do. And then they just kind of throw away all the stuff they can't do. Like, hey, this guy can't run in plays. Like we're just never going to run them. Um, and so they put their guys in positions to to win. They call plays that they know suits the strengths of their team, and and they're pretty good at adjusting on that. Yeah, GJ Kenny, kind of a rising star at this point after what he did in Carnot Word, and now early on at Texas State, they had a tough loss on Saturday, obviously, where they gave up two touchdowns in the last five minutes and lost to Louisiana, the Raging Cajuns. But it seemed like they were in control of that game. Uh, Mike, before we talk about uh, more around the state, give me your thoughts on Texas and OU. We talked about it a lot on the multicast. Uh, one, kind of one that got away for Texas, their own mistakes, right? What you said all year, and we, I think we all have, only, buddy, the only team that can beat Texas is Texas, and on Saturday you ran into an inspired and passionate Oklahoma team, and Texas kind of beat themselves. Yeah, I think it's a double-edged sword for Texas. You know, on one hand, you made all those mistakes, you lost the game, and that's a bummer. But on the other hand, you know, you turned the ball over three times, you had a goal line stand get stopped, you, you, you had a penalty on a punt that extended an Oklahoma drive. It was basically five free drives. Uh, for Oklahoma in that game. And you're still ahead with a minute and 11 left in, in the football game. And so, you know, if you're Texas, you're just trying to get back to that rematch and you think if you can play a clean game, uh, you're better than Oklahoma. I, I believe that as well. Um, and so for Texas moving forward, I, I think it's just, you know, the same thing, right? Like limit the turnovers, play good defense, run the football. You know, Texas is one of the best teams in the nation. I think we all can agree on that at this point. It's just going to come down to execution, uh, motivation, and, ju- and, you know, just discipline, really, you know, the rest of the way out, I think. Yeah. No, I agree with you on that, too. Uh, the, the Big 12, let me ask you this really quickly, uh, Mike. The Big 12 is, this is if you take Texas and Oklahoma out of it, of course, because they're looking forward to the, the move into the SEC, is this as down as you've seen the Big 12 ever? 
Yeah, I can't. I can't think of another time. I mean, honestly, whoever wins this Texas Tech Kansas State game this weekend is probably the the lone challenger remaining. Mm-hmm. Um, and just kind of think about that, just with how Tech has played this year and, and what Kansas State has been. It's it's definitely a down year. You know, it's a bummer. You know, I'd imagine if you're Brett Yormark and you gave him some truth serum, he wouldn't be too excited about having it this year, right? As the down year he wanted this year yeah. to be one where maybe somebody could spoil that party, but it doesn't look like it. You know, Tech is still. In a second year on a head coach, they need another year or two to kind of get better in the trenches. You know, Kansas State lost, you know, Deuce Vaughn, which, you know, I think everybody thought they would just be able to replace him, but you just don't replace a playmaker like that. And so uh, it doesn't look like Texas or Oklahoma have any real challengers, and I would bet most of my next mortgage on the fact that those two, you know, have a rematch in Arlington in a month. Yeah, uh, I would agree with that. Early December. Yeah, K-State, Texas Tech this weekend. Jones Stadium in Lubbock is a big one. Kansas is at Oak State in the Big 12 this week. Uh, Also, West Virginia and Houston tonight. That's the Thursday night game. What about TCU, uh, Mike? You've seen them. You've been up close. You wrote the cover story on Sonny Dykes for Dave Campbell's Texas football. They're 3-3. They they lost to that West Virginia team we're going to see tonight. Uh, they they uh, obviously not the same year as last year. We knew they were re- replacing a lot of players. They're going to play BYU on Saturday uh, afternoon. What's going on in Fort Worth? Well, they can't score. You know, I think the defense has been on par with what the defense was last year. You know, not great, but definitely not bad. You know, winning. You know, you can win in the Big Twelve with that kind of defense. You know, but last year with Garrett Riley as the offensive coordinator, at, with Max Duggan at quarterback, they had Quentin Johnson out wide. They were much better along the offensive line. They lost. You know, they're guard center, guard starters from, from last year to the NFL. And so, you know, I, you know I, I've heard people joke, like, pick your favorite TCU player from last year, and he's not there anymore, right? And so they were always going to take a little bit of a step back. You weren't going to go 12-0. and You probably, you know, were going to be an 8-7 win team because of all those losses that you had and the turnover on the coaching staff. Uh, but I think it's been disappointing because they thought uh, Chandler Morris was going to be better than he was. He thought this offense was going to be more explosive. And they just haven't come up with playmakers. They haven't been – as consistent running the football. They've had success running the football, but they've been really bad in the red zone. I think they're like 120th in the nation in red zone touchdown percentage. Like, they're worse than Texas in the red zone uh, scoring touchdowns so far. Um, that's just been wow. a, bit, a big problem for them. They were able to win all of those one-possession coin flip games last year, and then this year they haven't. They lost two of those where they didn't lose any of them last year. And so I think it's just thin margins for a team like TCU, and it only takes a player or two or a bounce or two to, to go from 12-0 and 0 to 8-4. and 4. That's just kind of the parity in college football. Feels like it. And last thing, Baylor, uh, what a mess. I mean, Texas Tech you know, made it look easy, kind of like Texas did when they went to Waco. Dave Aranda, uh, you know, not in good favor with the Baylor fans, uh, especially with Joey McGuire coming to town and, and beating them around pretty good. Mac Rhodes, their AD, says he doesn't think the team has quit at all. What's, what's your read on what's happening in Waco with Dave Aranda? Yeah, I mean, I think this is just the result of, you know, not poor recruiting, but not the recruiting they were doing when Matt Rule, Joey McGuire was there. They don't have Terrell Bernard. They don't have Jalen Petrie. They, they just don't have guys. like They don't have an Abram Smith. And so uh, when they were winning the Big 12 championship in 2021, they weren't scoring a lot of points. They, they were playing really good defense. They were running the football, and they were winning close games. You flash forward two seasons, and, and Baylor can't run the football. They don't play good defense, and they're not winning close games. You know, that, that comeback against UCF, seems more like an aberration than, than a, a, a proven point, right? Like it wasn't a turning point of their season. And so mm-hmm. I'm always concerned when the head coach's side of the ball isn't good. Like if you're Steve Sarkeesian, the offensive side of the ball needs to be really good. If you're Brent Venerables, the defensive side of the ball needs to be really good, even during down years. Dave Rand is a defensive guy, and, and the defense has fallen off of a cliff after 2021. It hasn't gotten any better. They don't have a lot of playmakers. 
And that's always a bad sign when, when that's going on with your head coach's side of the ball. Yep. Yeah, giving them up about 38 points a game mm-hmm. in Big 12 games so far this year. Crazy. Uh, that ain't good uh, for sure. Yeah, about 38 a game. Hey, Mike, always appreciate it. Great stuff. I know you're uh, you're on your tour going to 13 different stadiums over 13 weeks uh, of college football for, for a, a coffee table book you're putting together with Dave Campbell's Texas Football. Where are you going this weekend? I'm going to Texas State. Going to see uh, Texas State versus Louisiana Monroe. Uh, a fun fact about this tour, I've now been to six different stadiums on this tour. The home team has lost every single oh, time. That's good. Yeah, you're the kiss of death, brutal. Mike. You're the kiss, the kiss of death for the home team. Yes. They may not let me keep coming to these games. Uh, but Texas State is a 17-point favorite, so we're going to really test that theory this weekend. All right, buddy. All right, Dave, uh, Mike Craven, uh, check out the Eyes on Texas multicast. Also, all of his stuff at Dave Campbell's Texas Football, the Republic of Football Texas Network, man, covering all the teams, 13 of them now, in the great state, including Sam Houston, as they've joined the fun. Thank you, Mike. Appreciate it, my Thanks, friend. Mike. Later, guys. All right, there's Mike Craven. Uh, at Craven Mike stuff. on Twitter. He does. It's always good to get his – he's covering these coaches and talking to these coaches and teams daily. We, we, we you know, microscope Texas, mm-hmm. but uh, keep an eye on what goes on. Mike mm-hmm. has got the deep dive around the uh, state of Texas. Uh, all right, we'll come back. Uh, when we do, Rod, you ready to give us a rant? Yes, sir. Good rant. What are we ranting on today? Um, there's a couple of topics we could – I want to throw – actually, I want to play that C.J. Stroud sound again because I think it was so Let's good. Let's do it. C.J. Stroud. Yeah, he's next-level quarterback, and this audio proves it. Yeah, we'll have that. And the Cowboys fans frustrated with their quarterback right now and their team will hit it all. Coming back, Rod's Rant on Hook'em Up. Aaron Hogan, Rod Beavers, Hook'em Up. 1019 AM 1260, The Horn. Weekend starts on Thursday on Hook'em Up every week and we're looking forward to it it starts with uh, college football tonight we mentioned west virginia and houston that'll be the longhorns next opponent and get a look at this west virginia group also got uh nfl football i just read this rod you you, you said the trade's about to go down or with the denver yeah. broncos denver plays at kansas city but how about this rod mm-hmm. according to meteorologists severe storms and wind gusts up to 40 miles an hour could impact tonight's thursday night football game oh where's that storm at it's up great. in the Midwest. There. Oh, wow. Okay. As of Thursday morning, Weather Channel forecast partly cloudy conditions around kickoff at 715. Chances of precipitation increasing to above 10% later in the night. But the forecast includes steady winds of 10, 15 to 20 with gusts up to 40 miles an hour. Well, that'll probably help the Broncos defense because they need all the help they can get. Yes. And the, the Broncos defense, strange enough, it's, it's the one of the worst in the Super Bowl era. Matter of fact, it might be the worst defense in the Super Bowl era once everything is said and done. And... They're trading some of their, I don't know, top defensive pieces, some of their top players. Uh, they traded Randy Gregory. Remember, they traded him to the 49ers like, talk about the rich getting richer. Like, they need another pass rusher. And now Field Yates is saying that they are going to trade Frank Clark or release him. He said they can't find a trade partner. They're going to release him. He took a pay cut earlier this year of about $3.5 million. And I guess the pay cut wasn't enough because they might be ready to cut them, period, if some team doesn't step up as a trade partner. Yeah, that is. uh... That's wild. So I don't know what's going on in Denver. Their defense is bad. Maybe they figure we're bad paying off. We're we're spending a lot of money to be potentially the worst defense in the history of the NFL in the Super Bowl era. Why Why don't we just be the worst defense in the history of the Super Bowl era Without paying all these guys this big money. <laughs> That's right. We're bad with them. Why the hell am I paying all this money and we're bad? Let's just be bad. Let's be cheap and bad, not expensive and bad. That's worse. 
Right. You wonder if this new ownership group is kind of looking at Sean Payton and saying, "Okay, let's let's get in this rebuild mode." This we didn't do the uh, the deal for Russell Wilson. That wasn't us. Mm, we inherited you didn't that. do it. We yeah. inherited this problem, and let's let's move forward because yeah, they're they're historically bad. And as I've said, uh, that the, Sean Payton is their sixth coach or interim head coach they've had since they beat the Chiefs last. That's how long it's been. That's, that's, that's a wild stat actually because it it couldn't have been that long since they beat the Chiefs. That's what it says. It can't be that long, right? They won a Super Bowl with Peyton Manning, like, what was that, mid, you know, like 20, what, what year was that, 2013, 12? When was that? When was the Peyton Manning Broncos Super Bowl? Um, That was right? Gary Kubiak. And that was oh. Gary Kubiak, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> that was Koob. Koob ended up winning you a, a Super Bowl there. And that was, it was his first year, wasn't it? They, like, got Koob. Couldn't they had John Fox before that? And that was Tim Tebow. They won a playoff game with Tim Tebow over the Pittsburgh Steelers. Remember that? Yeah. And they, yeah, Gary Kubiak won it in 2015 or 16. Well, they've gone from Vance Joseph to Vic Fangio to Nathaniel Hackett. Jerry Roseberg wow. was an interim. Sean Payton is now so there. So since they won it, that was just, so we're talking about eight years ago. Yeah. John Fox was the John Fox was the coach before that, right? That was, his two, that was the Tim Tebow Super, Super Bowl. Super Bowl was 2015. The Tim Tebow playoff win was John Fox, I believe. Yeah. And then Gary Kubiak comes in. That's when Peyton Manning comes in. And then they win the Super Bowl. And then since then, Vance Joseph, Vic Fangio, Nathaniel Hackett, and Sean Payton. Good Lord. And Jerry Rossberg was wow. an interim coach in there, too. I can't believe that. That's crazy. And the defense is so – I mean, they just had Vic Fangio not too long ago. Yeah. So that defense shouldn't have been that bereft of talent. But they allow now guys on, on average 450 total yards per game. Ouch. That would be the most allowed by any team since 1950. Well, His defense is dreadfully bad. They are. And Terrible. I, I know we, we came in here after they gave up 70 to the uh, Dolphins, and I was like, look, the Dolphins are good, but that, that that was a lot on the on the Broncos, too. They weren't trying. They were not trying. I that guess that's game. why they're cutting these guys. Yeah. They're like, dude, I ain't paying you that. Yeah, and then yeah. they went to Chicago and got down to like four touchdowns to the to the Bears. Like the Bears weren't moving the ball on anybody. Well, now then they beat Washington last week. All right, let's get Rod's oh. rant. It's uh, twice a day. We get to you the rants from Rod. It's always deep dive conversations on uh, interesting things in football. Rod's rant of the day is brought to you by Apple Leasing, the easiest and safest way to get a new car. Any make, any model. Click AppleLeasing.com and experience how easy it is. I'm as mad as hell, and I'm not going to take this anymore. Find out what happens when people stop being polite. And start getting real. You ain't keeping it real. My God! Okay, it's happening. Everybody stay calm. Oh, oh you've done it now. It's time for Rod's oh. rant of the day. Hold on to your butts. I know, seriously, the Broncos' <laughs> defensive stats are so bad, they're funny. They are kind of every, comical. Every quarterback that plays the Broncos is completing at least 78% of their passes. That is what their defense allows on average in terms of completion percentage. Every quarterback that plays the Broncos has a at least a 133.9 passer rating. That's what they allow to, to opposing quarterbacks. And if you throw the ball 10-plus yards downfield on the Broncos, they're allowing 76% of the passes thrown 10 yards downfield to be completed. 76%! The nearest uh, second-highest number is the Bills at 64%. Man. Man. They are just, I'm telling you, it's historically bad. It's terrible. All right, let's talk about something that is not historically bad, something that actually was historically bad at one point, the Houston Texans, who now have found their uh, their franchise quarterback. Actually, they found franchise pieces on both sides of the ball. we got to give Nick Casario some credit here because I went and looked at the, um, the numbers for Will Anderson 
And Will Anderson is actually playing really well, too. He's fifth in pass rush win rate. Say that five times fast. He's fourth in double team rate. He's first in run stop win rate. He's first in uh, double team win rate. And he he's basically right now considered to be one of the best young pass rushers in the league um, already. And so give Nick Casario credit. Give D'Amico Ryan's credit. Um, they, they, they paid a lot of draft capital to go up and get their two foundational pieces on both sides of the ball. But it looks like the one on defense is working out. And there is no question C.J. Stroud as the future of the Texans organization, the future face of the Texans organization. He is right now exceeding expectations. I mean, you go look at it right now. He's third in uh, passing yards per game. He's ninth in passer rating. 10th in passing touchdowns, 4th in yards per attempt. He's 4th in first downs uh, via the pass. And if you look at turnover-worthy plays, uh, he actually is right now 8th in turnover-worthy plays. And that's top 10 as well. So you're looking at right now, he's playing like a top 10 quarterback. And yes, he just set the record for pass attempts, most pass attempts uh, attempted to start a career uh, without an interception. Um, so most consecutive pass attempts to start a career without an interception. He has that record, by the way, passed up Dak Prescott. But none of those uh, statistical achievements and nuggets really impressed me more than the audio I heard. Uh, it was early this week. I think it was on Monday I heard this audio, him speaking to the media, about their go-ahead touchdown versus the Falcons. Now, they lost that game because the defense didn't hold up. Uh, they thought they scored the go-ahead touchdown on the last offensive drive for the Texans, but then the defense gave up a score, and they lost that game to the Atlanta Falcons. But C.J. Stroud was describing what he saw um, throughout the game that led him to speak with the OC Bobby Slowick, who, by the way, is a rookie OC, rookie play caller, and obviously the offensive coordinator for a rookie head coach in D'Amico Ryan. So you got a lot of inexperience there. And so he talks about what inspired him to go talk to his OC and essentially diagram and design his own play so that they could score the go-ahead touchdown in the game. By the way, 2-1 Dalton Schultz. Here is C.J. Stroud talking about, as a rookie, right, how he took kind of ownership of that offense and, and took the lead on not only being able to lead them to a go-ahead touchdown, but actually he's the one that came up with the play. I don't want to give you all my secrets, but uh, I just had, like, I think it's like a gut feeling that you get, like, in between the games. So me and Bobby had a conversation on the sideline um, about, like, a certain route that we wanted to do, and uh, we didn't have it in at practice. So I just felt like in those big time situations, uh, the guys that they uh, Jesse Bates is a great player, like super good, really instinctive. Like he, he almost picked me off on the uh, he like did some weird 360 turn. The first time I've seen that, so now I got it in my bank. And hopefully, he don't ever get me again. Um, but that, but playing against him like keeps you honest, and um, I knew that he was gonna try to make the play of the game and try to take it away. But um, like previous film study, I, I watched was watching film on. Uh, like a big time third down situation, and just seeing that they're in like this quarter is matchy, like uh, uh, cover forward look. And I told Dalton to do a certain thing in his route um, that I thought would get us not only first down but a touchdown. So um, we were on the same page, and I'm literally trying to like break down what I, exactly what I want from him in the huddle. And at first, I don't think it registered, and then he was like, okay, I get it, I get it. So um, Dalton's really smart and, and made a, a hell of a route. Um, but, yeah, man, just being instinctive, just trying to put my guys in the best position to, to make plays and win games. And 
Um, that instant, like, it, it was really special. And Bobby and them were really happy on the sideline. And, um, he was a part of that too, uh, talking on the sideline with him. I told him that I was thinking about doing it. And he was like, man, if you're feeling it, go ahead and make a play. So uh, made the play and um, is what it is. First of all, I love that Bobby Slork and the coaches are empowering this young man. Right? You see it. You've been doing the research. You've been studying. You're playing the game. Yeah, let's go with it. And not only did that inspire confidence in him, um, but I just love the, the football IQ here breaking it down. And you see it. There's a, a bunch trip set. Uh, to that side where Dalton Schultz is on, and essentially he's asking Dalton Schultz to run a, a it's a double move. Essentially, he's going to fake the dig route, which is at about ten to twelve yards, a deep end cut. Uh, he's going to fake the dig route, safety bites jumps uh, that fake dig route and then he basically continues to run the seam right behind the safety, opens up a void, opens up a passing window, and he delivers the ball right on the money. Uh, and honestly, I hate to make this comparison because I'm a Dak fan. But look at you know talking about C.J. Stroud and his you know development and the maturity at you know in football IQ as a rookie like I said with a rookie play caller and him making those types of decisions and having that type of executive control of the offense as a rookie and then having the IQ to be able to diagnose and decipher and break down defenses this is kind of what we want to see people want to see from Dak as a a seventh, eighth year quarterback, and they're not necessarily seeing that level of, of, of a football theory, right? Not seeing that level of football acumen and football IQ from him in his as a veteran quarterback, and yet the Texans are getting that level of play from CJ Stroud as a rookie. It is phenomenal, uh, but I, like I said, making the comparison to Dak, it is definitely uh, one of the reasons Cowboys fans are so frustrated, and I think the connection with Dalton Schultz <laughs> um, being Dak's former favorite target uh, probably links it even more, but I think that's the frustration is that man Dak Prescott looking at him he should be he should we should be playing that cut with Dak Prescott talking about a play he made in the 49er game that he made that check in that audible and not CJ Stroud but I'm happy as a Texas fan that it is CJ Stroud yeah well you're right about that and that's uh you know they're 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 seemingly watering down the offense more for Dak um yeah and making it simpler and remember they they, all offseason it was talked about how he had more control of the plays and which plays he liked and which plays he didn't and Obviously, the results so far have been not good. And the results, from, you know, look, the Cowboys are three and two, Texans are two and three. But big picture, I think you'd rather be going with the Texans single signal caller than the Cowboys. Is right CJ Stroud a better quarterback than Dak Prescott? Would you take CJ Stroud over Dak Prescott? I know what Taz's going to say. To right now, today, one game? right now, for one game. After what you've seen right now from CJ Stroud, would you take him over Dak Prescott for one game or for to start a franchise? For to, yeah, yeah, for your franchise. Franchise. I'd take CJ Stroud. Yeah, I think the ceiling. I think I would too. <laughs> I mean, high. it's a small sample size. If it's one game, I probably still lean on Dak to, to, we'll, to win one game. We'll see after the rookie year of CJ because that's usually when the film is out on a player, sure. and yeah. then you can, you know, got to come up with adjustments. And they'll come up with blueprints to stop a player in scouting reports. Uh, but early on, it just seems like CJ Stroud is way ahead of his, you know, way ahead on, in terms of developmental rate and his trajectory as a player. We just did not expect him to show these types of signs of maturity. Guys, he's 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 made, die grabbing plays in the huddle <laughs> in clutch time of NFL games as a rookie. Telling the OC, hey OC, I think it's gonna be open, Bobby. It'll be open. I I don't remember many. I, you know, guys, I study a lot of football and I love the NFL. I can't remember many. 
examples of plays. Patrick Mahomes actually had a couple of these types of plays uh, in his early years as a starter. I'm not saying he's Patrick Mahomes, but I'm just saying their ability to uh, have executive control over the offense is truly a quarterback-friendly offense, but also a C.J. Stroud-friendly offense, as we see. All right, they will play the Saints this weekend. Cowboys, of course, playing Monday night against the Chargers. We'll come back a little round of who said that on a kind of dreary Thursday morning. Let's hook them up. Here's Michelle's experience with Apple leasing. I've always been curious about leasing a vehicle, and after hearing the great recommendations for Apple leasing, I decided to give them a call. It was very casual, and I was just curious what trading in my vehicle would look like and if I could possibly get a lower payment for a newer vehicle. And my car was at the point where it needed new brakes, and I was already getting tired of it. The kids made it messy, and I really wanted that new car smell and that warranty back. I had an idea of what I wanted and everything was so turnkey via DocuSign. I got a brand new vehicle for less than my old vehicle's monthly payments, bad brakes and all, and I'm in love with my new ride. What's funny is I always tell myself that I'm going to drive my new car into the ground until I no longer have a car payment, but does that ever really happen? The out-of-warranty and and wear-and-tear issues will always pop up, and giving Apple the opportunity to see what they could do for me on my next car was a great call. Apple Leasing, 512-346-9977 or AppleLeasing.com. But Light, folks, it's the official domestic beer partner of your Texas Longhorns, the Texas Xs, and uh, everything that's fun on the weekend. Uh, this week, though, no Longhorn football. Uh, but that means you got plenty of football and time to watch football of other kinds, right? All over college football with the four ranked matchups, games tonight. Uh, all, of course, the, the playoffs now. You're going to want to have the Bud Light stock for that Rangers and Astros series, which starts on Sunday. Baseball playoffs, perfect time. Of course, you got ACL Festival round two. Uh, Coda next weekend for the, uh, the U.S. Grand Prix is rolling in here as well. Make sure you stocked up on the Bud Light at any of those occasions. Live music, watching sports, watching games, out with your buddies, watching Thursday Night Football tonight. Do it with the icy cold Bud Lights. Every uh, Bud Light is brewed, whether it's a bottle, a can, or a draft, using four simple, high-quality ingredients to create that clean, crisp taste every single time. They brew it to be perfect anywhere there's fun, because anywhere there is fun, there's going to be an ice cold Bud Light. Brewed in Texas by Texans for Texans. It's also the official domestic beer partner of your Longhorns, the Texas Exes, that Texas OU game in Texas football season. It's brought to you by Bud Light. Hook them. As we transition into cooler days, it's time to prepare for winter with Pinnacle Propane. Introducing our winter prep offer with savings up to $175 on your next fill. Don't wait. Visit us at PinnaclePropane.com or call us today at 830-693-4383 and stay warm all winter while saving with Pinnacle Propane. To help you prepare even more, you'll have a chance to win a portable backup home generator and a Carhartt gift certificate. Pinnacle Propane, your trusted partner for all your propane needs. Hey everybody, Aaron Hogan, football season in full swing, and there's no easier way to get in on the action than with Underdog Fantasy and their Pick'em game. It's an absolute blast. I've been telling you about it, it's a fantasy game, but you can win real money on each game you're going to watch. Pick between two and five players in a game on either side of the ball. You choose whether they're going higher or lower on their in-game stats, and then you just watch the game. You can win up to 20 times your money in a single game by going five for five. It's illegal here in Texas, and it's a ton of fun. Had a game last weekend where I was this close to going four for four, just missed out, but man, it was a blast following along. You can do it again. Starting Thursday night through the weekend, build your dream team today. Just go to the easy-to-use mobile app or go to underdogfantasy.com. Sign up with promo code HOGAN, which is my last name, H-O-G-A-N. Underdog's going to double your first deposit. Listen to this, up to $500. That's right, you can double your money up to 500 bucks. It's Underdog Fantasy, so easy and so fast to get started and play. Win some real money while rooting for your favorite players in your biggest games. It's Underdog Fantasy, promo code HOGAN, H-O-G-A-N. Must be 18 or plus and present in a state where Underdog Fantasy operates. Terms apply, consumer play, call one 800 gambler visit www.ncpgambling.org. 
Divided Sky Roofing and Solar, your go-to experts for roofing and solar solutions. You've heard me raving about Divided Sky Roofing and Solar's top-notch roofing services, but did you know they're also your ultimate full-service solar company? After enduring the hottest summer in Central Texas history, we all felt the heat in our wallets. Say goodbye to paying the power company and start paying yourself with a brand-new Timberline Solar Shingle Roof. Divided Sky Roofing and Solar. Visit DividedSkyAustin.com, 512-995-ROOF. Texas License, TECL 37397. The Horn text line has moved. Join the conversation on the new Horn text line, 512-447-3776. That's 512-447-3776. Aaron Hogan. You just got to keep living, man. Rod Babers. L-I-V-I-N. Ian Rod B. On the Horn. Ooh, and this man. Who said it, Rod? Who said that? Who said it? Who said it? That's right. Who said uh, what? Who we're going to play that? some audio. I got some good stuff for you today, Rod. I got some good stuff for the folks out oh, there, the people. And uh, we try to guess uh, who it is. Let the, get the, uh, the, the audience guess as well on the text line. Remember, that text line is uh, not just a way to communicate with us. It's also a way to win yourself some tickets. Damn wristbands, right. two wristbands to the U.S. Grand Prix for three days, starting next week. Of course, Friday, Saturday, and Sunday, all the races, all the qualifying, two concerts, the Killers and Queen with Adam Lambert. That's going to be an unbel- on the uh, super stage there. And all you have to do is text the word RACE to our text line, and you will you should uh, immediately receive a, a kickback sign-up. And that's why we changed our text number. We told you we wanted to be able to do contesting with you, not just on the phone lines, but also be able to do it right through the text line. And you can do that at 512-447-3776. Nice. Uh, so text RACE to that text and then get signed up. Uh, nothing more than that. That's all you have to do, and uh, we'll have a winner next week of oh, those shizzle. wristbands. And uh, you'll be having a great time at one of the great events of the, the year. In it's this great. country, I was say, yeah, I want to say it's one of the great international sporting events. Period. Yes, around the world. Yeah, around the world. What do you have for us, Rod? And who said that? Um, all right, I sent the uh, sent some of this to my man Ty. Ty, you got one of those ready for me? Who said that? I had to wrangle him down, <laughs> big old deck. Just talking about Dallas. Unfortunately, I hate to say this. I grew up a Cowboys fan. Ooh. I mean, ever since they didn't draft me, I'm like, hey. Y'all had your op, and now you got to see me. They try to motion CD to kind of see, all right, it is a man's own read. I knew that they either, they love slants and they love crossing routes to try to, when, when we're in man coverage, if they want our guys to run into each other as their guys are kind of crossing to knock them off. And so I'm popping and I'm kind of looking in my peripheral to see if they're crossing. I, I see CD coming across and the tight end. So I literally just had to try to jump in front of both of them to knock them off just to make sure that they didn't rub. The- Ooh, wow. That's some high-level defense yeah, this right dude, there. Yeah, okay. First of all, who said that? I don't know. Oh, really? I thought you'd have known. You know who it is. When I tell you, you're going to be like, oh, I should have known that. Fred Warner. Fred Warner, okay. Yeah, yeah, exactly. You described the play. We were talking about the play, actually, one of the breaks. He was basically describing how he defended like three, four plays in, in one play. And then sacked Dak. And then sacked Dak. <laughs> right? And he took away the crossing route, then took away a dig route, and then attacked and, and took away Dak's run. Yeah. Then, then he jumped him. up and Dak tried to throw it, so he blocked the passing lane and then sacked him. It's like, so he basically de- he defended five different plays? On one, one play. On one play. He's a freak, man. He's Fred a freak. Warner. Yeah. Third round pick for you know they built that team so steady and so I mean, through drafts trades mm. you know they picked you know the draft picks have panned out of course the dr- trade for Christian McCaffrey and Trent Williams their left tackle 
drafting the guys like Joey Bosa, or Bosa really high. Yeah. Fred Warner was a third-round pick out of BYU, turned into one of the best linebackers, if not the best linebacker in uh, in the league. They haven't missed much. Now here's another one of their all-pros, Rod. Uh, who said this? Two of, two of them. So when that when the Detroit tight end scored, uh, I, I texted George. I'm like, "Did you see the flea flicker?" He texted our tight end coach right away and said, "We're going to do it better." Yeah. So like we've had it installed since like week eight of last year. We just never called it. I'm watching Laporta play. Actually, I'm sitting there with my agent, who's also Sam's agent. He goes, "Oh look, Sam just had his second touchdown." I'm like, "Yeah, we have that play in tonight. I hope we still call it because you know, like sometimes coaches see stuff like, oh, well, we can't call that now because they called that." And, and so I think I think George had more yards. I was very thankful that we did call, and I think I had like three more yards on it. But Sam had a, I mean, what a day for that guy! <laughs> what a. There you go. There you go. You know who's there. There's several uh, people there. Yeah, that was Kittle, and at one point, uh, George Kittle, the tight end for the 49ers. I'm not sure who the other 49er guy was. Maybe one of the coaches or something. Maybe fullback. Back. Fullback. fullback. Was that Juszczyk? Juszczyk. Oh, that was Juszczyk. Okay. Juszczyk. Yeah. Uh, and, of course, that the you know the Lions and the 49ers ran the exact same play on the same day. It was a yeah. trick play flea, flea flicker, flicker to yeah. the tight end mm-hmm. coming back down the sidelines. And, of course, Sam Laporta and George Kittle both went to Iowa. They're part of that uh, Iowa tight end oh, farm. Man, so many of them. <laughs> Iowa tight end farm. Some great ones. Uh, T.J. Hawkinson. Hawkinson. Oh, it's like, it's like seven of them that have Noah played in the Fant. league. Noah Fant. Yeah, they like they got another one coming. It's, it's unbelievable. They got another one coming. I mean, now tight ends it's go crazy. to Iowa to go to the NFL. I almost started tracking happened. it, and I was trying to figure out if it was the same coach. But they've had like they've had like four different coaches in that time, too. So it's not the same coach. It's like a cultural thing. Kirk Ferentz, yeah. It's really well, weird. Well, in it. And uh, obviously Kittle – the best of the bunch, but man, yep. uh, pretty damn good ones in the damn National right. Football League. And that was a nice play. Uh, Sam Laporta, but the rookie does show with you the that Lions. They, they do a lot of stealing plays. Shano is one of the only coaches that admits openly that he steals plays from other coaches. He gives them props. They're like, oh, I stole that play from Mike McDaniel. I stole that play from Sean Payton. A lot of coaches don't want to admit they steal plays. Shano openly does, and I think his players embrace that because they are look for plays to steal. They're like, oh no, Shano steal that play, steal that play, steal that play. And he talked about stealing the what they call the cheat motion from Mike McDaniel. That's one of the make things that makes his offense really great is that if he sees a really cool concept he's going to steal it and add it to his repertoire most coaches won't do that or at least they won't admit to doing it he actually brags about it all right and uh, running it better give me give me another one ty who said it start off with coach venables you know a lot of people don't know but he's actually our scout team quarterback and for your head coach to be the scout team quarterback and you know pick apart the defense because realistically he he built the defense so when he's out there slinging the rock you know kind of embarrassing these dudes you know, we have to bring it every single day. And, um, you know, that's the type of dude you want as your head coach, man. Someone's not he'll, – he'll lower, he'll lower the shoulder. You know, he'll run you over. <laughs> Is he in pads? Is he in pads? He's not in pads, man, but you, hey, you'd be surprised, man. Coach V's a guy waking up at 5 a.m. to run stadiums. And uh, he actually hurt his meniscus, and he was still at practice, you know, slinging the rock, man. It doesn't take <laughs> any days off. Hold on. He's in the training room getting his th- – he's got his ankle. He's getting his ankles taped before practice. How you doing, Stutzman? Who said that? That's uh, uh, Danny Stutzman, the linebacker at Oklahoma. I saw he was on the Jim Rome show yesterday, too. He's making the rounds. He was making the rounds. He was on Rome in the noon hour yesterday here on the Horn, and then it was on McAfee. And, yeah, I didn't know that. Brett Venables is a scout team quarterback? No. It worked. Come on, man. They were ready. They lead, they, they lead, I think they're tied for the lead in interceptions in the country. Yeah, and they're so and number working. one in scoring defense in the Big 12 right now. <laughs> uh, and, and offense, by the way. Oklahoma playing they, pretty well. They've they now broke, got that big it. win they needed. Hey, one more. Who said this, Rod? And it's about a conversation we had uh, just yesterday. 